This, the Chad and Cheese podcast, brought to you in partnership with TA Tech. TA Tech, the Association for Talent Acquisition Solutions. Visit tatech.org. What happens when your phone vibrates or your texting alert goes off? Yeah, I bet you're reaching to check your phone right now, aren't you? <laughs> That's your Pavlovian dog reflex to text messaging, which is why text messaging has 97% open rate and a crazy high candidate response rate within the first hour. All great reasons the Chad and Cheese podcast love text to hire from Next. That's right, next, with the double X, not the triple X. So if you're in talent acquisition, you want true engagement and great ROI. And because this is the Chad and Cheese podcast, you can try your first text-to-hire campaign for 25% off. It's a holiday recruiting miracle from your buddies Chad and Cheese. How do you get this discount? Just go to chadcheese.com and click on the next logo in the sponsor area. No long URL to remember? Just go where you know. Chadcheese.com and next with two X's. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Welcome to this next exclusive episode of HR's Most Dangerous Podcast. This is Chad Sowash, and I can't tell you how happy we are to have Mark Whitek, CEO of HiQ Labs, with us today again, second time around. If you're lactose intolerant, today is the show for you. That's right. We are cheese-free, as in Joel Cheeseman is out on assignment, because that sounds better than taking a nap. All right, Mark. Well, welcome back to the show, man. This is the second time you've been on. Um, but for those listeners who did not listen to Shame on You, the August 25th show where Mark uh, actually gave us an interview, um, can you can you tell the crowd, can you tell the listeners who the illustrious Mark Whitek is? Who, who's this guy we've all heard about? <laughs> you and me. Um, <laughs> I'm the CEO of HiQ Labs as of February 2017, and I have a background in early stage technology out here in Silicon Valley. Um, I uh, you, Hold on a second. Do you hear my dogs in the background? No, you're fine. Keep going. Uh, and I'm a dog owner, a dog lover, uh, as I said, up in Northern California. And we're dealing, of course, uh, for those listeners that weren't in tune with the prior interview with a legal battle uh, with LinkedIn around public data. Gotcha. Gotcha. So we have a ton to talk about today, but since Turkey Day is still fresh in everyone's memory for all those who are not in tryptophan stupors at this point, uh, I'd like to take some time, if you don't mind, and run through some fun research that we did with the gang over at Next. Are, are you cool with that? That'd be great. I, I'm anxious to hear it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So listen. So the main survey question, I'm just going to run through one of these questions, is would you use work as an excuse to mix miss Thanksgiving? Again, the question is, would you use work as an excuse to miss Thanksgiving. Now, I'm sure you wouldn't do that, Mark, because you have a lovely family. Um, they, might, they might use work as, a, as an excuse to miss me. That's a, that's a good point. So here, here, here it is. So here's how it broke down. And they broke it down generationally, which is really cool. So Gen Z, which is 1997 to today, 48% of them said they would definitely use work as an excuse. 36% of millennials, 29% of Xers, 
and 24% of boomers. That breakdown is astonishing. Why do you, why do you think that is? Why so many boomers? Almost 50% of our Gen Zs and then 24% of boomers, still 20, almost a quarter of boomers. Well, I, I looked at the, I looked at the 24% of boomers as actually a smaller number than I expected. I thought it would be a little bit more consistent and maybe we're just, maybe, <laughs> maybe we're just more sentimental. I don't want to put you in the same category, but I'm sentimental. I look forward to the holidays. It's a time to chill out, relax. I love to cook. Uh, friends yeah. out here who are you know into the wine scene and it's just a good time. So I don't think yeah. we're as motivated to look for a reason to avoid due to sentimentality. Yeah. 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 Well, I, on the Gen Z side and the millennial side, I think most of them, or at least 20% of Gen Zs are still uh, living at home from my understanding. Uh, and uh, millennials are, are still living at home in most cases as well. Um, and they're to get enough of family time. So I, I kind of get that. It's almost like, oh my God, mom and dad, you know, they're, they're at the point where they need to get the hell out of the house in the first place. Um, but Xers and boomers, you know, Xers 20, almost 30% and boomers at 24. Um, that's when you're really, st- I mean, as an Xer, not a, not a grandfather yet, but when I am, I definitely want to see the grandkids. So it's definitely going to be different than that 50% who uh, says, nah, I- I've had enough of family. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think the notion of being there all the time kind of contributes to the idea that I might want to get away when, when that family time is going to be ultra concentrated. Yeah. Yeah. So if you haven't seen the infographic or or taken the new survey that Next has, um, just go to chadcheese.com, check it out. You'll see it'll say survey infographics. Too easy, man. So we're going to the the real show. We're going to stop clowning around. Are you ready? Sure. Fire away. Okay. (laughs) Sure. Okay. So the big question right out of the gate, everyone's been hearing about high key versus LinkedIn battle, right? Um, but can you tell our listeners why this case is so vital for not just the recruiting industry, but every, every industry out there? Why should anyone care? Well, this is about control, right? And, and, and ultimately, um, the, the control of the information that so many of us contribute to the, uh, to, to, the, to the life experience at both a professional and personal level that we all have. Mm-hmm. Uh, that information is owned by us, uh, certainly in the case of LinkedIn. LinkedIn doesn't dispute that. They don't own the data. Uh, and the notion that, 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 that the control of that information would become so highly concentrated among a handful of extremely large companies uh, creates a mm-hmm. horrible dynamic. It creates a horrible dynamic around the prospect for innovation and new services. It creates a horrible dynamic. Um, well, I guess innovation and any competitive behavior go together. Uh, but, but history has shown that when choices are limited, uh, so too does the richness of the experience become diminished. And, and that's the dynamic we're talking about here. If, mm-hmm. if this data is deemed to be that controllable, this d- data that you and I purposely designated as publicly accessible or not right. is controlled by a, a single entity or you know the other guys that collect data about us as well, uh, it, it, it limits the richness, richness of our professional and personal life experiences. Well, this seems like an issue though lately because I mean control um, along with net neutrality, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're now looking at having a, 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 an issue prospectively with net neutrality. And we're talking about data, we're talking about control, we're talking about net neutrality, we're talking about control. Do you see this prospectively as an issue that we're really going to have to fight hard for the next four, eight, who knows how many years? Well, I hope it doesn't take that long, but absolutely I do, right? The, 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 the regulation that, that exists um, 
you know, and that in some sense is possibly applicable uh, is proving to fail right now. Yeah. So at, at a macro government level, uh, it certainly seems that new regulation reflective of current circumstances is warranted here. And mm-hmm. oh, God help us if it takes eight years to figure that out. Um, that's certainly not internet speed, is it? Hey, not at all. And that's, I think, one of the biggest issues that we have with government getting into this. They they don't move fast and they don't understand, it seems, like they don't understand how these types of moves, which, again, you know, is kind of scary with, uh, you know, LinkedIn versus IQ. Um, at that point, you're not really sure where they're going to go. I'm glad that you guys are in the in the Ninth Circuit, as we talked about. Um, but, uh, you know, on again, when we had our, our last interview, we talked about the initial win against LinkedIn where you guys received an, an injunction. Um, can you bring us up to date on where everything is at this point? Sure. Coming out of the preliminary injunction, the, the, the judge in short said the the balance of hardships here tips clearly in favor of high q mm-hmm. um that the, the the things that we were doing with member public profile data data that linkedin clearly does not own right. um uh d- don't don't constitute really any harm whatsoever to linkedin they certainly didn't do an effective job if any of describing what harm they were incurring as a result of this so coming out of that the judge granted an injunction um, the injunction prevents LinkedIn from putting in place any technological or legal impediments to our uh, efforts to collect, aka scrape, member profile data. Mm-hmm. Uh, subsequent to that, uh, LinkedIn had a choice. They could accept that outcome or they could appeal it. They chose to appeal it. Of course. Uh, <laughs> expected that they would. Yeah. Uh, when, when they appealed it, they filed their appellate brief on, uh, I want to ballpark time frame early October. Okay. Uh, it took us approximately six weeks through, well, yeah, through November 20th to file mm-hmm. our response. These are all public documents, by the way. A lot of ways, <laughs> if you're even marginally interested, these are fascinating tomes and and well worth the read. They are digestible. Are, are you guys publishing these on your website? Yes, we are. Uh, you know what? I say that quickly. I, I, I don't know if we've posted ours yet, uh, but they, they will eminently be up, both of LinkedIn's filing as well as ours. Excellent. And they're beefy, right? They're excess of 10,000 words each. Um, LinkedIn gets the last say, uh, so they'll have an opportunity to respond to our appellate filing. My understanding is they have 30 days to do that. So before the end of the calendar year, they should be in a position to get that filing. And then it's off to the judges to uh, the judges process to assign the three panel judge, uh, the three judge panel and uh, set a hearing date. And our expectation is that each of those things ought to happen in Q1, uh, including a, an outcome, a decision, Q1 of 2018. Ooh, so deep breath, right? I think so. Yeah, good, good, good. So what I've read, and and I saw that there's a hundred page um, response that you guys put out. Uh, I got to dive into a little, a, a tad. So surface wise, it looks like LinkedIn's main regulatory stance seems to be the CFAA, so the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Two part question: Can you tell me about what aspects they're using of the CFAA? And number two, how you feel LinkedIn is manipulating it for this case? I'll give it a shot. Uh, Although the documents do a great job of breaking down both sides of that (laughs) argument. They really do, right? The the lawyers earn their money on the description at least. Um, So the the CFAA application, uh, of course, is in question by us. Um, Generally speaking, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act was put in place to uh, prevent illegal access to 
protected, largely password protected computing services. Uh Uh, Mm. So think about a world where you have some sort of authentication uh, via password or other security token Mm. that in the absence of having, you are unable to access that computing service. Um, LinkedIn's position, uh, which Judge Chen described as uh, an overreach, uh, is that by simply saying we don't want you to access our computing services, uh, their right to prevent us is preserved under CFAA. Remember, there's there's no password protection for you or I to view LinkedIn member public profiles. Public data, hence public, right? That's right. That's right. And there, there are, there are. I'm coming to find out you know, the things you learn through a process like this, Chad. Uh-huh. I have the sense that there are literally dozens and dozens of CFAA cases where the root of the issue is someone giving their credentials to someone else for the purposes of accessing data that's on a private computer network. That does not right. sound at all like the situation between HiQ and LinkedIn public profile data today. At all. So I don't, I don't, you know, as a layman, I look at it and say, it's beyond curious that this would even be the device you use to protect this data. Mm-hmm. So that's LinkedIn's position. And that, and that's sort of the genesis of CFAA. This, this goes back to what I said earlier that, the regulation we have in place is is um, it's dated at best, right? CFAA yeah. is a regulation that was created in 1986. <laughs> Think about other things that existed or didn't exist. Think about the mobile phone you had in 1986. Yeah, well, I mean, it, and, and again, we go back to regulation and how it's not keeping up. And that's one of the hardest pieces, right? I mean, it's hard to keep up with Moore's laws. It is, let alone with regulation, knowing how slow it moves. So, I mean, it's back to what you were saying, LinkedIn I mean, they, they're actually saying, yeah, we do have public profiles. but No dispute it, on that point. It was, so if they're public profiles and it's public information and they realize that that data is my data, then why is this even a conversation other than them just trying to bully you? Well, let's be clear. Bully HiQ and many, many other companies that, um, that scraped before us or scraped concurrently with us. And, why aren't we hearing uh, from them, though? Why aren't we hearing from them? That's the that's the thing that bothers me the most. We see high Q out there. You guys are in the forefront and you're fighting the good fight. Why are all these other companies that could be coming out for not just high Q, but for this issue, they're sitting back in the feudal position and they are hoping and praying that you guys actually do the shit that needs to be done. Why aren't they fighting the fight? It's a hard question to answer. I've talked to dozens of them. So many have reached out. So many have offered to help. Um, they've offered to help through amicus briefs. Uh, they've offered to, in some cases, help uh, fund our, our legal defense. Uh, so I don't know. At the end of the day, I suppose it does have something to do with either access to resources, sufficient resources to combat the bully, right? If you know you don't have the resources to combat the bully, why waste what you do have? Why, why wouldn't you do that in public though? I mean, isn't that the cheapest way to actually get out social media, press the, press the case and show your support for what's going on in this case? I think it's the, I think it's among the best ways. Uh, I don't think it's the easiest way. I, I'm a, I'm a, a big believer, a follower of uh, Seth Godin. I, I look at his mm-hmm blog, not all 7,000 of them, but a few, weeks ago, <laughs> a few weeks ago, he wrote something that felt really poignant to me. It was, uh-huh. uh, is your issue important, popular, or viral? And it, and it right. caused me to think about 
the plight of anybody who's received a cease and desist letter from LinkedIn. And by the way, some of those cease and desist letter recipients were clear violators of LinkedIn's terms of service, right? They've acknowledged, yeah. hey, we were doing things that you didn't want us to yeah. do, so we'll yeah. fix yeah. that, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know how many others have a situation that's uh, you know, even similar, let alone identical to high cues. Yes. Um, but, but in this notion of important, popular or viral, uh, I, I could argue quite convincingly that this is a very important issue. We touched on why at the beginning of this conversation, this is an important mm-hmm. issue. Every right. human in the, in, in the world should have some sense of understanding of what's going on here. Yeah. I don't think it's popular or viral yet though, Chad, not yet. It, it only it only gets viral if people start to stand up and actually use their megaphones. That's the problem, right? I mean, from my standpoint, you know, but we're trying to do yeah, me too, right? And I wish, right? I hope, I'd like, but I recognize right. that in a world where you, you have you have thousands and thousands of stimuli coming at you every day. Yeah. How much time are you going to spend parsing an issue that's as nuanced and complex as this? maybe six seconds. <laughs> and, 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 I'll, and I'll let you know. I mean, we've talked about this issue on this show for many episodes. So obviously I had you on interview once, thanks, twice now. But this is something that's important to us and our industry, which means the snarky assholes on this show will continue to talk about this. But what you were talking about, though, you know, so in our industry, companies have scraped cup, uh, public data uh, mainly company jobs, and and this is all the way back in the in the flip dog days before Monster Bottom. Right. But wow. the, yeah, remember that, right? Way and, back and and um, you know, they've used it for phishing schemes to be able to compile candidate data for years. So for us, I believe the big question is how can we distinguish between good actors and bad actors, Russian bots versus legit companies trying to innovate for for the common good? I mean, how do we know? What's the litmus test? I wish I were smart enough to assemble it. I'd love to be part of a group that takes a shot at doing that. I think there is a rubric that can be applied yeah. um, that, that, that gives us a better, a better methodology for sorting out the good actors and the bad actors. Um, it doesn't exist today. That's for sure. Right. It, it, it harkens right. back. It harkens back to, I should know the name of the justice who had the, uh, is it pornography or not case? His quote at the end of it was, we may not be able to define it, but I'll know it when I see it. And I think we all have, uh, look, the people that I've talked to in this community of interest mm-hmm. have a, have a remarkably consistent point of view around what is a good actor and what is a bad actor. And those that are bad actors will often acknowledge privately. Yeah, I'm on the margin. I'm a little bit over the line. So right. many of us understand or would come down with an equal with a with a similar conclusion about whether something is in good faith, good actor, bad actor, bad faith. Uh, it's doable. It just hasn't been done. So right now, because the regulations suck and they're back to 1986, that's why we have terms of service, right? Terms of agreement, you know, all these different terms, which you are abiding by with LinkedIn, or at least, you know, the, the, when you started working with them, they might've changed them. They changed them. It seems like every other day. They, for they, they changed them so much that even, even judge Chen referred to them as specious in their application <laughs> that, 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 you know, nobody reads the fine print and, and Again, there are there are dozens and dozens of very smart people, several attorneys, in fact, who have dissected LinkedIn's terms of service to highlight the, the self conflict. Right, it, literally from one paragraph to the next, it, you'll you'll find instances of uh, of something like this. Right, you 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 must do A followed by 
you can never do A. Uh, and 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 my experience often that type of situation spawns from the desire to monetize something. Let's change the terms of service so we can actually do what we want to do to monetize this, and and we'll worry about the conflict that we create later on, and we'll worry about the confusion we create later on if it ever becomes an issue. Right. In terms right. of, and then you're relying upon the then you're relying upon the large entity to be a good actor as well. And whose interests do they have at heart, right? One thing we didn't touch on uh, as, as I went off like the busted hose I did around the um, <laughs> the dynamic here is the, the money associated with it, right? Will will people care about this when they recognize the billions and billions of dollars that are at stake? Will it be the economic interest that finally catalyzed the masses to make this a popular and viral issue as well as an important issue? Yeah. Well, and that's the question. And, and, and another big question and something else that I don't think uh, listeners or, or many people out there understand is that this switch wasn't flipped on HiQ until LinkedIn looked at HiQ and said, we're going to get into that business line. That's how it seems to us, right? Someone else might ultimately be the judge of that. But the, the, the sequence of events and encounters that led up to the cease and desist really do constitute the proverbial, I smell smoke, so there must be a fire, right? They knew, mm-hmm. they knew about us for several years. They participated in our twice annual subject matter experts, right? People analytics expertise from uh, all segments of industry would join us to talk about issues of the day. And we were very clear in uh, the evolution and genesis of our product, Keeper, our retention product, mm-hmm. and the data that you, we used to inform it, LinkedIn public profiles. LinkedIn was party to that. We met with them on a, on a frequent basis uh, across several years, only to find out that they were, in fact, baking a competitive product. Uh, Jeff Weiner alluded to it in an earnings call uh, a while back. Uh, he, he went many steps further in an interview with uh, you know the now exiled Charlie Rose uh, in June of 2017. Uh, and they launched that product at their uh, Nashville event uh, a couple of months ago. And we have customers mm-hmm. who said, yeah, they've specifically said we're, we're selling against HiQ. So this notion of understanding what skills you have and what jobs are out there uh-huh. to provide a match along that dimension, right? That's our Skill Mapper product, which we launched in April of this year, has been in the works, it seems, at LinkedIn for quite some time. And, and now that we're competitors, we get the cease and desist letter and we can't do what they want to do. And they want to use public data, my data, your data, to be able to do what HiQ is doing, but they don't want to allow HiQ to do the exact same thing, right? I mean, that that's really the issue here. So when we start doing this, everybody else on the block better get off my block. Furthermore, yes to all that. And, and furthermore, as was demonstrated in the preliminary injunction hearing, mm-hmm. it, it seems that, high, uh, that, uh, that LinkedIn is equally flexible with respect to how they use our private information. Right. Right. LinkedIn, uh, I, I, my understanding is that a recruiter product uh, will allow you to, will allow a purchasing recruiter uh, to access profile information that goes well beyond public. I don't know if they use mm-hmm. public and information designated as private to inform the, this new product that they launched. Uh, but certainly they, they, they hide, they hide behind, they, they, they put up as a shield, this notion of protecting member privacy, that they're the steward right. of member privacy as the reason that they need to throttle us 
meanwhile, they're going several steps beyond what we would use to inform their own product. So that's that's the height of hypocrisy, and it's all driven by the dollar. Yes, and the shield is scaring the living shit out of everybody because there are so many bad actors out there, and we can't allow bad actors to get your information, right? That's right. That's right. And, and look, it comes back to the important popular viral thing. How many of us really understand what, what, mm-hmm. when you hear that someone's scraping data to to do something you didn't expect? Your your natural reaction is bad actor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we, we've been sensitized to that from the phishing schemes that you alluded to, and many many others. Mm-hmm. So here's a fun one. So in an Adweek article, you might have read this. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Rami Assad said that Haiku is a parasite. You guys are pretty much just uh, taking all the hard work that LinkedIn did and uh, really just uh, being a very parasitic type of organization. How how do you respond to, to, to guys like that who, I mean, he's actually, he's a, he's a security specialist, so go figure. He wants everything locked down. Well, but wait, how do you wait, respond wait, wait. to this? I, I, I'll respond to that in a moment. But what does Rami's company do again? He, their uh, security, on his Twitter, I, I think, uh, I think he actually I, says, I think we, they sell tools. we've been locking down bots for yes. like 10 years or some, some, something like that. So it's, I mean, it's something that is, is in his best interest, obviously. Yeah. That's, that, that's where I was, uh, was going with that. Of course, that I believe his company sells tools that, uh, help with, with bot management. And certainly there, this is that degree thing we talked about earlier, Chad, this yeah. is that degree thing whereby when, do, when does an active scraping endeavor to public data begin to look like uh, a denial of service attack, right? When are you actually yes. impacting server capacity and degrading the experience that LinkedIn customers have? We're well, we're, we're well short of that. We quantified it. We, 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 oh, we yeah. understand that very well. So how do I respond to the parasite notion? Uh, I've been called worse. I've been called better. Uh, my customers <laughs> pay for the value that we deliver to them. And these are enterprise level Fortune 500s who are actively looking to do a better job with their employees. Um, I, I, if, we were, if we were universally viewed as a parasite, uh, I can't imagine that we would have had the economic success that we've had to date. There's clear value in what we do. Other companies are trying yeah. to do it as well. LinkedIn's trying to do it as well. So the notion that I use a public data set to do it, is, it's, 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 a, it's a red herring. Is Google a parasite because they index everybody else's data for us to have a more effective search experience? Are the, yeah, are, are, are the, are the pricing uh, optimization applications that look at Amazon pricing all day long to help us get better prices on the goods and services we buy? Are they parasites too? Right, right. Yeah. It's it's easy to point at these these little pieces, especially when, again, when when you run a company and you hope that uh, you get an opportunity to, to stop bots because that's what your company does. Um, but this is how, I mean, this is how we innovate. So, you know, a big question if your injunction does not stand, and we hope it does, there's no question. What does that mean for small companies all over the nation who are trying to innovate and trying to, to provide these services that, to be quite frank, just aren't going to exist because they're not going to have the opportunity to innovate? Well, certainly there's an obstacle in front of uh, anybody who's trying to use public data to innovate, no doubt about it, if this injunction does not stand. Uh, I'm a, mm-hmm. the, the, um, how do they say this? I'm a pragmatist. I, I am not an optimist. I'm not a pessimist, but I do know that 
the the pragmatist. I'm sorry, the optimist often call the pragmatist pessimist. <laughs> so I recognize I'm well about <laughs> to say my might might sound like a, a little bit pessimist. I, I I have not spent one one hundredth the amount of time contemplating our next move should LinkedIn win the appeal as I have spent time contemplating what we do when the decision is upheld. I think about when we, so to speak, win and and, and, and the things that happen subsequent to that. And that this cloud of uncertainty that has you know, put friction on certainly high Q and in likely many, many other businesses, but that cloud is gone. And now, yeah. now the market can truly opine around the value that we purport to deliver. It won't be a sales discussion around, well, how long will you have access to the data? Um, well, what is LinkedIn going to do? We, we, all this litigation, all that goes away. All the litigation conversation goes away. All the strategy all, uh, around how we handle it goes away. And we get to focus right. on the core issue, which is what can we do to help your business be more productive, engage better with your with your workforce for to present better opportunities to them. All the things that we want to do. Those are mm-hmm. the conversations we need to get to. So you had a crowd justice campaign and many, many people actually uh, myself included went out and, and, and supported HiQ, um, but it failed, right? So you're trying to hit a mark and explain, you know, the crowd justice kind of initiative and are you going to try it again? Don't know. All options. Look, when you're a small company, you get to experiment with many, many things and uh, right. you get to refine your thinking and take another bite at the apple on on many occasions. So the crowd justice thing, it's actually a, a, a nice sort of summary to the story arc we've created here across the last 20 plus minutes. Um it, it touches on the community of interest outreach uh, that HiQ uh, experienced. Uh, mm-hmm. I said earlier that I had literally dozens of companies and individuals, CEOs of other companies, reach out to ask how they could help. And I don't know when we started to talk about it. It was it was more than one, but it wasn't the twelfth or the thirteenth that provoked us to say, "Well, I wonder if there's enough interest that people would want to be a part of this, right? That they would want to think that they've contributed to addressing this public." data dynamic. Mm-hmm. And ultimately that we, we, we took a shot at that through this crowd justice is the platform that we used. Uh, yeah. and, and then what, what came, what became abundantly obvious was cemented with the uh, Seth Godin post that I alluded to, right? Important, popular, and viral. Mm-hmm. Uh, the notion that this was important was very clear, right? The, the media coverage we got driven by our desire to put that crowdfunding out there was immediate. Right. Interestingly, much of the media uh, I think stayed away from highlighting it or even presenting the URL. They don't. They don't want to be the source of either you know success or the catalyst for that tipping point. They, they, they don't want to take a position in that, and I respect that. I understand that. It's our job to get the word out there and to catalyze interest to to fund it. Right. But in the big scheme of things, it changes nothing. Um, we still have the same appeal process to go through. Uh, we're still funded by investors who will continue this battle to the end. Um, my ability to fight the appeal was completely independent of the success or ultimate failure of the crowdfunding endeavor. Um, we, we identified the um, the budget for the legal budget for the appeal. It's about a $700,000 endeavor. We thought it was fair for, Jeez. we thought it was fair for um, potential contributors or ultimate contributors to know, um, to have a sense of how much they'd be moving the needle if they made a contribution and we got to the $100,000 goal. Right. Uh, and we're proud of the way we handled it, right? It was a very transparent campaign. It ultimately didn't get to the goal. Uh, but that doesn't change anything about our day to day. And what I do it well again, from our standpoint. Again, here's here's when I here's when I think it might make sense. Here here yeah. Uh, we we talked about why the why the um, the everyman or every woman 
mm-hmm. probably parses on this subject for six or 10 seconds. That was my summarization. You know, it's a six second glance at the issue. Mm-hmm. And if the gravity of this situation uh, ever reaches the point where all of us have some common understanding of the impact it will have on society, then I think a crowdfunding thing becomes a more, I don't know, relevant, topical, action-oriented platform upon which to create participation. But we're not there yet. Yeah. Well, I hope we get there. And I'm going to go ahead and, and and round this out by saying, Mark, we really appreciate, you know, again, you guys going out there and, and, and fighting the good fight and challenging everybody else who's out there. If you believe this is an important issue, join us to make this viral. Um, you got to speak up. You got to do something. You can't just sit on your hands and hope that people go and fight the fight for you. You've got to stand up and you've got to fight it yourself. And we really appreciate Mark, you guys doing that at high Q. This isn't just a, this isn't just a, a story of a blip in time. This is something that could and would negatively impact more than just the recruiting industry itself. And we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Glad to do it. And I'd be glad to keep you apprised as this uh, whole situation develops in the future. Excellent, Mark. Thanks so much. Good luck. Let's let's knock this thing out. Thanks for uh, planting the seed uh, in and around the Christmas holiday to wonder why my friends and family may choose not to participate. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget chadcheese.com and click on the next logo for 25% off your first text to hire campaign. Seriously, what do you have to lose? Oh yeah, candidates. You have candidates to lose, my bad. Text to hire, better engagement, better experience, better candidates. This has been the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single show. And check out our sponsors because they make it all possible. For more, visit HireDaily.com. Oh, and you're welcome. Thanks to our partners at TA Tech, the Association for Talent Acquisition Solutions. Remember to visit TATech.org. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.